Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. So just a... Second Chronicles chapter 20, we're going to cover the life or the kingship of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat. And before we do that, we got, I, I always want to give a background of whatever I teach, so that way we have an idea of what's going on before we actually jump into the scriptures, right? And that's what I usually do when I try to teach anybody that's, you know, the kids. I always try to give a good background, so... Before we do that, if you are in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, I just want to give you a history of the Bible. Just a biblical history, very surface stuff, so it brings us into the time where we're going to be at in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 in the life and the kingship of Jehoshaphat. So, we know that the Bible starts off, God creates the world, creates the universe, right? God creates the heavens and the earth and all living things, including mankind. God created everything in six days and rested on the seventh day to establish the Sabbath day of rest. And then we have the fall. We all know about that. Adam and Eve, sin, death entered into the world, and God made a covering for them. In order to do that, he had to kill a living being, an animal, to cover them. It just goes to show us, how great and how grave sin is when we consider how holy God is. So we have the fall. And then the earth was populated. The people were all over the world. And then God said, you know what? This world is so wicked, I'm going to judge it. And we have the flood which came upon the whole world. And God saved one family, Noah and his family. And then after the, no, after the flood came, the earth was repopulated. Then we have the Tower of Babel, where rebellious mankind gathered, and God divided them, and that's where we get the languages. Like, my, you know, my native tongue is Samoan. And then, you know, we have all different languages throughout the world. And I believe the languages that we have now all stemmed from this, from this judgment, the Tower of Babel. So after that comes Abraham and the patriarchs. Abraham was the first Hebrew. God called him from a distant land in the Middle East called Ur of the Chaldeans, right? We've all read about Abraham. God promised him that Abraham, if you obey God, God would multiply his descendants as the sand of the seashore and the stars in the sky. And one of his descendants would be the savior of all mankind. That's where the lineage of Jesus is coming from. So we have Abraham. Abraham had a son, and his name was Isaac. Isaac was Abraham's child that was born in his old age, according to the promise of the Lord. His name means laughter because we all know why. His wife Sarah laughed that she was going to bear a son in her old age. So after Isaac, we get Jacob. Jacob was the father of the 12 tribes the nation of Israel. Jacob's name actually means deliverer, but God, deceiver, but God turned everything about his life into a blessing, and his name was changed to Israel. Israel. 
From there, we get Joseph. We all know the story of Joseph. We all maybe seen the movie Joseph. Joseph was a favorite son of Jacob. His beloved wife, Rachel, died giving birth to Joseph. Joseph was gifted in that he could interpret dreams, and his brothers were jealous of him and sold him into slavery in the land of Egypt. So that God was with Joseph, and through his life, Joseph was able to save the Hebrews from extension. It's amazing how Joseph can go into a place, and he becomes a slave. He becomes... He goes into the dungeon. He's put in prison. All these things were going against him, and God raises him up, second most powerful man in the land of Egypt, Joseph, because you know why? God has a plan, right? And then we get into Moses and the Exodus period. We've all seen the Ten Commandments. Right around Easter, they show it every single day, like the whole week. So if you haven't seen it, just wait around then, or you could just... I don't know. We have Netflix. It's probably on there. So then we have the calling of Moses. When the Hebrews were in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh had ordered the death of all Hebrew males, male babies, because they were growing so rapidly. Moses was born and grew up in the house of Pharaoh. So he knew the customs. He knew the traditions. He was raised up in the house of Pharaoh. Later, he developed a yearning to seek after the Hebrew God, whom he met at a burning bush. Moses later returned to free the Hebrew slaves because God had called him to do a specific job and God had called him to deliver his people out of Egypt. So then we get to the ten plagues. We've all seen the Ten Commandments. We know all about the ten plagues, period. And so God used Moses and Aaron through that whole ten plagues. And Pharaoh was very stubborn. And we all know what happened at the end of those ten plagues. Eventually, they were let go, and uh, Moses gave them out, uh, delivered them out of Egypt. So then we see the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, right? They cross the Red Sea. They come across. There's, first, they celebrate, oh, we're free, we're free, we love it. And then they started complaining. They started complaining. They're they saying, man, we don't have the food we have back there. We didn't have this. We didn't have that. But they didn't realize they were no longer slaves, but yet they were complaining. So the giving of the law at Mount Sinai was when the Hebrew came to Mount Sinai and God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. The Hebrews rebelled while waiting for Moses and built a golden calf. Remember that? When Moses came down from the mountain, he broke the tables of stone because he was so angry. Later, God wrote the Ten Commandments with his own fingers on a new set of stone tablets. He also gave Moses a description of the tabernacle, which was a tent that God's presence would dwell in throughout their journey until they entered the promised land. Because of all the complaining they've done, God didn't let them enter the promised land, right? So we have the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. The children of Israel will not believe in the promises of God. They desire to go back to the land of Egypt and into slavery again. Isn't that just like us sometimes? When we, do, when we don't understand God's promises, we want to go back to our old way of handling things instead of going to the word of God and going to his scriptures to find out what we need to do. So when they came to Kadesh Barnea to look over the land that God had promised them, they became afraid and only who? Joshua 
Caleb had the courage to move with the promises of God. So God used those two guys to bring in the new generation into the promised land. This lack of faith caused them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years. God promised these guys they were going to go into the land with milk and honey, but yet they complained, and their complaint got them 40 years in the wilderness. So now we enter into the conquest period of Joshua. So we see the death of Moses before they entered was this period when Moses gave his final speech to the Hebrews regarding all the promises of God. He reminded them that if they would obey God, they would be blessed. But if they disobeyed God, they would be cursed and scattered throughout the earth, and the sword of persecution would follow them wherever they went. Wherever they went. Moses died on Mount Nebo after becoming frustrated with the people and losing the blessing of God in entering the land. Even Moses did not enter the promised land. It goes to show you disobedience cost, right? Disobedience cost. He would only see the land, and then it would be Joshua who led them in. Man, I don't know about you. If I was Moses, I'd be like, God, I've, I've dealt with all these complainers, and I'm not entering into the promised land. Then we have the crossing of the Jordan. Was the event when the Hebrews crossed into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey as God promised. Joshua led them in, in ordering the priests to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the waters. And the waters of the Jordan split in two as they entered into the promised land. Joshua set up a memorial to remember the great events. Don't we do that in our lives? We remember great events that God has brought us through. Relationships, uh, hardships. We remember those times because it builds our faith. It builds our faith. So they get into the promised land, and God is telling them, I want you to conquer this land because this land is yours. So the seven years conquering the land was a time of conquering the rebellious idolaters and inhabit, and they and God wanted them to take over the land. They were instructed to conquer and destroy, yet they were disobedient. It's a theme disobedient because they did not conquer all the land as they were instructed. They did not drive out the Canaanites, and they intermarried with the Canaanite women. The three most prominent deities of Canaanite worship, and we see this throughout the Old Testament, Baal, Ashrath, and Dagon. And if you read 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, Judges, those, those uh, idols and gods, are going to be what the people of Israel struggle with as far as overcoming what God wanted them to do. So selling in the land of Canaan where the territory was distributed among the 12 tribes, and later Joshua gave a farewell speech. Now Joshua's leaving us. He gave a farewell speech to encourage the people and also to warn them that what would happen if they disobeyed God. He told them, choose you this day, whom you will serve. Choose you this day whom you will serve. The Bible tells us that Jesus says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that I am Lord. And that is something we as believers, we as Christians, we don't need to stray from it because that is truth. And sometimes we want to be so friendly to somebody that has told, but eventually that person's going to stand before Jesus, and he's, Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me. 
Every tongue will confess. Every person that ever lived in this faith, in this world will confess that Jesus is Lord. We either do it now by the grace of God or we do it when we face the king, King Jesus. So we come to the period of the judges. The seven cycles of sin, what the children of Israel were going through, was bondage, delivering, blessings. And you see this as you read throughout the scriptures, as you read throughout the uh, Old Testament. They would obey God, everything would go well. They, they would disobey God, God would bring judgment on them, and, and God would raise up a judge or a prophet to bring them out of the persecution. And this is what's going on. Every generation fell into a terrible cycle. First, they would forget God's commands and commit idolatry because they compromised. They disobeyed. Second, a foreign invasion would take place and bring severe oppression, and we see that through the Old Testament. Third, they would cry out to God for help. Fourth, God would send a judge or a deliverer to save them every single time. It's like us. When we're disobedient, when we're against the word of God, God allows his grace to flood us until we are honest with ourselves and come back to him. We could be in a pitiful state. We could be, we could harbor bitterness and we could be so judgmental on people. And God will let you get to that place and get and allow you to just go through your emotions and eventually God, the his Holy Spirit will come on you and you, and you realize, Lord, I'm so sorry. And then you come back to him and you start walking in righteousness with him and everything seems to go well, right? So the first 300 years of Israel's history, the book of Judges begins just after the death of Joshua and ends with Samuel, the last judge of Israel. After this was the period of the kings. So, we see Samuel. We all know about Samuel because if you read about David and Goliath, we know that Samuel was in the picture. Samuel was the first of the great prophets of Israel. His mother Hannah had been barren her whole life and prayed to God for a son, promising that she would dedicate his life to the service of the Lord if he would fulfill her desire. God answered her prayer and Samuel became famous in the land for his prophecies. He anointed the first king, King Saul, as well as David. So we enter into the period of the kings. So Saul was the first king of Israel. The people had cried out for a king because they wanted to be like everybody else around them. They didn't want to answer to God. They wanted a king that they could see because they wanted to be like every other nation around them. They were complaining, murmuring. Telling Samuel, we want a king. We don't want to be ruled by God. We want to be ruled by a person who's going to oppress us and who's going to put us in persecution, who's going to bring us in harm's way. And sometimes we ask for things that are so crazy, right? We go through experiences like, what's going on here? But we ask for them. The decisions that we make. Wow. Saul was first king of Israel. The people had cried out for a king. And guess what? The Lord granted them their wish. The Lord finally told Samuel to anoint Saul, the tribe of Benjamin, a very good-looking man who was head and shoulders taller than any other man in the kingdom. So obviously, we look, we look at people and we judge them by the way they look. 
We judge them by the status they have. We judge them maybe by the cars or the house they live in. We judge them by the clothes they wear. But we don't see the heart. God sees a person's heart. Saul spent most of his life, what did he do? He was hunting down David because he was jealous, because he knew that God had David as the true king of Israel. So we co- now we come to David. David was Israel's rightful king, chosen by God and anointed by Samuel the prophet. David was a man after God's own heart. Ain't that a prayer for you and me? God, I want to be a man after your heart. God, I want to be a woman after your heart. God, I want to be a after your heart. Because what's in our heart, it's really not, I mean, you go deep into your heart and you see what's there. That's why we need to pray, God, I want to be a man after your own heart. David was from Bethlehem. Who else was born in Bethlehem? See how all this lines up. All this lines up to our true king, King Jesus. When he was still a young boy, he fearlessly slew the Philistine giant Goliath. We all know that story. We've seen it. We've heard it. But do we really understand it? So David defeated him with a sling and a stone. David spent much of his life running from Saul. But finally, when King Saul died, seven years later, the tribes crowned David as king at Hebron. Now, David was a warrior. This guy, I mean, you talk about somebody who would uh, come up to you and chop your limbs off. And when God said, I want you to go conquer that place, he came in there with violence, with death, because he was obeying God, and he was like a man's man, right? When we look at men today, we're like, man, I just want to be a man like that who's able to handle situations, not so much with our physical stance, but with our minds, with our hearts, right? Because people look at us as people and they're like, they're impressed by, by maybe how tall, how good looking or how whatever we are. But God looks at the heart of a man. So David, even though he was a man after God's own heart, he had a lot of faults. And we read about him. The good thing about David is we see all the good things. And we also see all the faults that he has. But yet... God used him in a mighty way to bring the true king, King Jesus. So now we see Solomon, one of David's sons. Solomon was the son of David who built the temple in Jerusalem because David couldn't build him. God told him, you've got too much blood on your hands. I don't want you to build the temple. Your son is going to build the temple. But Solomon had his fault as well. Solomon made a mistake by marrying the daughters of foreign kings. He had all this power, and he and he, uh, God came to him in a dream. And he said, "Solomon, what do you, what do you, what do you want me to give you? Wisdom." Gave him all this wisdom, and yet he goes and marries. He tries to be popular, a popular king, and he marries people outside of the covenant. And out of that, it's going to come a mess, a big, big mess. So by the time Solomon was in his old age, the kingdom was ready to be split in two. 
And this is where our passages will begin. So the kingdom, the civil war happened when Solomon died in 922 B.C. before Christ as Solomon's sons and military commanders struggled for the throne. So Solomon had blessed Rehoboam, one of his sons, to be the new king. But Jeroboam had more military influence and each claimed to be God's chosen king. So here we have the split of one kingdom into two. Now here we have the two kingdoms, the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, where Judah and Benjamin were the only tribes to that kingdom. So during this time, you have Israel north, Judah to the south. So finally, after the struggle, 10 tribes went to the north following Jeroboam in the name of the northern kingdom. And this kingdom was called Israel. The remaining two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, in the south, the southern kingdom was called Judah. And now we get into our passage. So now we have a background of where we're at in Scripture. So let's turn to our Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1 to 3, I'm going to cover first. And before we do that, I just want to give you a background. Jeroboam, actually Jehoshaphat, which we're going to read about, He is the fourth king in Judah, and he was considered a good king, just like his father Asa before him. And before him, Rehoboam and Abijam, the two first kings of Judah, they were evil kings. They compromised. They allowed idols to come in. They built worship centers in the mountains where they can go and have, you know, worship other gods. They were considered the bad kings. And Israel, the northern kingdom, If you read about the history of it, all their kings were evil. They were all just messed up people. Like God sent prophets, prophets, and then finally they became no more. Right? So Israel, the northern kingdom, was destroyed by the Assyrians, and we read that in Scripture. So this is where our passage begins. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites, there's a lot of knights in here, came against, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid And set his face to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. First thing we see there is Jehoshaphat is the king. They've experienced peace for probably 10 years. And they weren't expecting an enemy to come in. Not alone one enemy, but you have three different nations joining together, coming in to try to annihilate them. So this is what's going on. And Jehoshaphat is fearful. He's very afraid. Fear is a feeling induced by perceived danger and or threat that occurs in certain types of organisms, which causes a change in metabolic or, or organ functions and ultimately a change in behavior, such as feeling, fleeing, hiding, freezing from perceived traumatic events. Ain't that true? Well, we're afraid of something. When I'm afraid of something, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to know about it. I don't want to see it. You know, I, I just don't want to deal with it. Because you're seeking for answers of why, why you're feeling this way, right? And so we see that 
Jehoshaphat is afraid. The nation of Judah is afraid of what's coming to them. They know the enemy is coming. They know it's not one enemy, but three nations of armies. They want to come in and destroy them and take over their land. And I was just thinking about this. Man, that's, that's so true. I mean, we think universal as, universally as a church what type of persecution that goes on with our brothers and sisters that may be in third world countries. You think about China, the underground church. You think about the Middle East. You think about Africa. We think about South America even. We think about all these others, our brothers and sisters that are going through persecution and what they fear. And what we fear is totally different what we fear here in Lubbock, Texas. And what, what do we fear as a church? Persecution? Freedom to worship? We don't experience that. But our brothers and sisters in other countries that are, you know, being persecuted, they fear that. We fear the unknown. Now let's bring this down to a personal level. And here's a question for you and me. What is the situation you're facing that feels impossible? Right? What is something that we face that's just impossible for us to handle, to go through? You know, for me, it was the time when my daughter was about four years old. And, um, you know, we're brand new believers. And she became ill. And then she went into a coma state. So she had something with the they call it meningitis something where your brain starts to swell up. So we were living in San Diego County. We had taken her to the children's hospital. And for like a week, I was in this state. I couldn't do anything about it. It was an impossible situation for me to handle. I'm not a doctor. The doctors didn't even give us good answers. They said, we just have to wait and see. I'm looking at them like, you guys are professionals. You're the doctors. Give me an answer I want to hear. They told us, you, got, you just have to wait and see. We don't know what's going on. There's been very few cases of what's happening. We just have to wait and see. For like three, four days, she was just in a coma. And we didn't know if we were going to lose her or not. That was a very difficult situation for us to go through. And I was like, you know, you're brand new in the faith. And I'm like, God, please just, just heal her. Right? When you're a parent, you're do, you do anything for your kids. God put me in that place. Take them out. It was an impossible situation for me, for my family personally, of what we had to go through. And that brought fear. But we read on. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 4, and Judah, and Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So we see that Jehoshaphat is going through this difficult situation. He's got three nations coming against him, and what does he do? He goes and seeks God. He goes and seeks God. And I think about the things that we seek as people. When we seek, we're searching for someone or something. We tr we're trying to find out something or someone. We're searching. We ask for help. 
We ask for advice. We try to get or achieve something, right, when we seek. Have you ever lost your phone or your wallet and you're just like, man, you're tearing through the couch. You're like, bam, bam, keep going through your bedroom. Where is that thing you're truly seeking because you really need it? Nowadays, you can't even live without your phone. So you're like, where's that app that the, the, the phone thing where it shows you where it's at? So I'm at my computer trying to search it, but I didn't turn it on, so it didn't help. <laughs> but we're all seeking something. And in the text, Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat, he's seeking God. Can you imagine if our president today, if, if our leaders today, Say, you know what? Here's what we're going to do, nation. We're going to seek God. We're going to have a time of prayer. We're going to ask God for direction of what's going on in this country. Can you imagine if the fathers that are responsible for your families, you know what? Come here, guys. Come here, family. We're going to seek God in this situation. Can you imagine if the church wakes up? We're going to seek God. Come on. We're going to seek God. We're going to go pray. We're going to go seek God for his guidance. And that's what I want to do in 2020. Amen. Right? Despite of how messed up our world is, we turn the news on. Here in Lubbock, Texas, oh my goodness, the first few hours of 2020, what happens? A couple people get killed right downtown. Young people. Yeah, and it goes on and on. Lubbock's supposed to be a safe city for us. What happened? Because we have sinners. We have people that are, are left to their own minds. They don't have the guidance of the Holy Spirit. They don't have guidance of God. What if our president would come out and say, you know what, nation, we're going to seek God. I don't care what this party, that party, or your party says. We're going to seek God. It's funny, and, and, and we look at our nation, and we're trying to take God out of everything. You know, I always tell my daughter, because I, I try to tell her, you know what? Don't ever be ashamed or afraid of your faith. If you're around your, your, uh, your friends, you can influence them, or you could be an influencer, right? You can be a leader of them, or you could be a follower and do everything else they're doing. Young people, when I say young, I mean like you're in high school, college age, in your 20s. Don't be afraid. There's a lot of peer pressure, but you have to stand up. Because you know why? You answer to one person. Besides your mom and dad, you answer to the king. You answer to the king. Don't be ashamed of him. Don't be ashamed of Jesus in 2020. You stand up. We stand up. So, Second Chronicles 20, verse 5 says, And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. This is how they sought God. King Jehoshaphat prays and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You, you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it 
and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if the disaster comes upon us, God, the sword, the judgment, pestilence, famine, we will stand before your house, God, and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you, God, in our affliction, and you will hear and save us. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given to us. What a prayer! What a prayer of encouragement! They're in a midst of the battle, and the king, the leader of the nation, is saying, "You know what? Let's go seek God." And he and not so much for God to remember what he told the people of Israel, but before, because he's praying and all the nation is right there and they're hearing this prayer and they're saying, yeah, God is for us. God told us to come in and take this land and now these enemies are coming in. They're not our enemies, God. They're your enemy. What are you going to do about it? And that's how we should be in 2020. What are you going to do about this, God? I live the right way. I follow your word. Show me the faith that I need. Show me the trust that I need in you. How am I going to live for God? What is a prayer? Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12, it says, O our God, will you not execute your judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. Now, you guys need to underline this. 20, verse 12. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Ain't that great? When you're in a situation you can't control, you have no answers for, God, my eyes are on you. I don't know what to do about this circumstance. I don't know what to do about this relationship, but my eyes are on you, God. My eyes are on you. That's a great prayer to praise to pray facing impossible situations that we go through. So we see that King Jehoshaphat, he wants the nation to seek God. So he prays. And what happens next? He waits on God. 2013 states, Meanwhile, all of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. Can you imagine this? The whole, all just families. Kids, children, your family, all there, waiting on God. Parents, we need to be that of an example for our kids, right? Hey, we don't know how this is going to work out, but we're going to wait on God. We've prayed, we trust Him, we're going to wait on God. So the whole nation... in. In the verse 13, they're waiting on God. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, son of Jael, son of Metaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And what does God do? He answers their prayer. And this is, this is what he says. And he said, listen, all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde coming for you, the enemy. For the battle is not yours, but God. 
We can see that these guys relied on God. They prayed to God. They waited. God answered them. He says, the battle is not yours to fight. It's mine. What I have told you, I have done in the past. What I have told you now, I'm going to do it. Just wait and see. God fights for us, guys. God fights for us. It reminds me of that song, Raise a Hallelujah. I raise a hallelujah. When things come my way, you raise a hallelujah. When there's no answers, you raise a hallelujah. Whatever troubles you go through, you worship. You raise a hallelujah. God fights for us. 2016 states, tomorrow go down again against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeruel. 2017 states, you will not need to fight in this battle. This is what God wants you to do. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. The Lord will be with you. In 2020, there's going to be things that you go through, things that you experience. You don't know what to do, but God will be with you. So what did they do? They sought God. They prayed. They waited on God. God answered their prayer. And now they have to act on it. They worship God. 2018 states, then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping God. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. It shows how different our worship is today from back then, right? Like we could come in, okay, it's worship time, we're all quiet. But these guys were like shouting, God, you are for us. You are, you told us to do this, God. We praise you. We honor you. And sometimes we were, we're so stoic. It's okay to be stoic. It's okay to be loud. It's okay to worship. They worship God. Now we're at 2020. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. That should be your 2020 anthem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established, unmovable. You will succeed. Success always doesn't mean that you're going to have the physical things. What is it? Peace. Joy. The fruit of the Spirit. God, I pray for love, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, peace. Those are inner riches nobody can touch. That's why some of our brothers and sisters that went to prison and died have that. That's true rich. Not something you could touch, but something that's always with you. So they believe and trusted in God. 
And when they had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. As they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. The next thing they do is they take action. Have you ever been in a situation when God speaks to you and the Holy Spirit speaks to you, the word of God speaks to you, but you don't take action? You're never going to experience the blessings if we don't step out of our comfort zones, no matter what that is. We need to take action. So we're in 20, verse 22. And when they began to sing and praise the Lord's, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon, Moab, rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devouting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. So the nation didn't do anything. God caused a great confusion, and they killed. These nations just killed each other. Israel didn't have to do anything. They had to act it. They had to go forward with what God was doing, and this is what happened. So God delivers Judah. In 2024, it says, When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, There were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers, goods, clothing, precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were there three days in taking the spoil. Three days. Can you, I can't even imagine how many dead bodies that were there for them to take Three days they went out and took all what was left of the enemy. And on the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Baraka, for they, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Baraka to this day. Then they returned every man to Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. Victory was given. And let me just say this, we fight from victory, not for victory. In your life, you fight from victory because we all know the end to this book. We all know the end of what's going to happen in our lives. When we realize what's the end going to bring, we fight from that end, right? And sometimes we fight oh, man, I got to go conquer this and do this and do that. But God says, the victory is yours already. It's just a matter of how you look at things. So sometimes we're like, man, I've got to, you know, get this relationship right. I got to do this. I got to do this. And God says, man, you you need to change the way you think about your situation. Right? That's why it's important for us as believers to be in the word of God. Because it changes the way we think. And a lot of times, most of the time, the battles that we go through physically all starts right here. Your relationships, sins that we go through, it all starts with our minds. 
2029, and the fear of God came on all the kingdoms. This is what the outcome is after the battle, after they went and took all the spoils of three days. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. When we abide in God, we have peace. When we abide in God, we have peace, guys. The minute we stop abiding and trusting in the Lord, you start trusting in yourself, you don't have peace for that situation you're going through. Right? We abide in God and we have peace. 2031 states, Then Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. He was 35 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azuba, the daughter of Shehili. 2032, and we're going to end with this. Jehoshaphat, he walked in the way of Asa, his father. His, his father, Asa, was a good king. He was trying to get rid of all the idols and all what was happening. He was trying to turn people back to God instead of these idols. And it says right here, Jehoshaphat walked in the way of Asa, his father, and did not turn aside from it doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. A victorious life in 2020 is a life in God, abiding in God, no matter what we're going to experience, because life happens. People will hurt you. Relationships will fall apart. We can even see it in our own church. People come and go. We're like, what happened to this person? What happened to that person? Abide in God. Get your eyes off of people because we fail each other all the time. God's love never fails. And he will never fail you in 2020. Keep your eyes on him, guys. Expect great things. Expect great things because he wants to use each and every one of us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for you. We thank you that you fight for us, that you are for us and not against us. We thank you for the gifts of your Holy Spirit, God. You tell us in your word that you seal us with your Holy Spirit until that day of redemption. If that's coming back for your church while we're still here on this earth, so be it. If we die, so be it. Because we belong to you. We know The victory is ours because of you, Lord Jesus. And we're so grateful to be on this side of the gospel where we have all this grace afforded to us. God, thank you for your son Jesus and his life. Thank you for our true king, the king above any other king that this world may kneel down to. We praise you today. Use us, Lord. God, use us. Use us at our place of work and our sphere of influence. Help us never to be ashamed of you. Help us to lean into you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you 
or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.